today on Ag News Daily. So we did talk about the spirit of two-way trade, though we were not there to negotiate. That's not our role. But boy, you can still get a lot accomplished in figuring out what their needs are. What's the political situation on the ground there? Where should we go first? And I think we learned a lot. Here we are. February 28th, 2024. Delaney, this would typically be the last day of the month, but that's not the case this year. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot we're having a leap year this year. That's right. I wonder what wild things will happen on the extra day. Well, we'll be together, so I don't, I (laughs) guess we'll get to celebrate leap year together, Tanner. That is right. It, uh, Certainly looks like maybe some of the weird weather has kicked off before leap year. We certainly are in to see large temperature swings. Part of those started yesterday already. We do have windy weather expected for parts of Arkansas, Missouri, Southern Illinois, according to the National Weather Service. Advisories will remain in effect until this afternoon. Could see gusts of up to 50 miles per hour that could blow loose objects around. In our northern region, we are seeing wind chill advisories. So we go from breaking February temperature records two days ago to wind chill in especially Minnesota, North Dakota. Temperatures could drop as low as minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit in some of those spots. The cold winds will cause frostbite and expose skin uh, in as little as 30 minutes. We were seeing lots of posts around X last night and this morning about temperature swings of greater than 70 degrees over a 24-hour span. We also have a listener from Michigan that sent me a text this morning that said, nothing like a 70-degree swing plus chances of tornadoes. So kind of wild weather today, Delaney. Yeah, well, we did see too some tornadoes grounded grounded flights in Chicago yesterday as folks we're trying to hit Commodity Classic here, Tanner, after some tornadoes did sweep through multiple tornadoes reported in the Chicago area as that severe weather outbreak continued. They also got golf ball sized hail, so not jealous of that weather there, but at least four tornadoes were spotted touchdown, touching down in the Chicago area. And a fifth tornado was reported in far western Illinois that didn't seem to make its way to Chicago, but nonetheless, flights were grounded for a time being. I saw a couple videos on, I think it was on X, where folks were in the tunnels or underneath basically the Chicago airport, if you've ever been through of the walkway that connects you to different terminals. They're just having a big old party down there while they were waiting for the tornadoes to roll through. But we also saw Texas Governor Greg Abbott issued a disaster declaration, Tanner, for 60 different counties here in the state of Texas as those widespread wildfires continue to destroy homes and other structures. We don't see that here happening where we're at in Houston. So far, those wildfires have been contained to the Texas Panhandle area and are creeping into Oklahoma But the largest of the active fires is in the High Plains in Hutchinson County, Texas, Panhandle, which has consumed an estimated 250,000 acres, Tanner. So those folks are certainly in our thoughts and prayers. Yeah, we had seen those red flag warnings. And unfortunately, I think Mother Nature got the best of some of those regions. We're already seeing some of our press releases come out from Commodity Classic. We have Simplot Grower Solutions 
that provided their press release for the Invictus Bioscience Evidence biostimulant that is formulated with a blend of nutrients and enzymes to increase cellulose digesting microorganisms. This is, of course, used to accelerate the breakdown of crop residues. Of course, we know here on our podcast the benefits of reducing crop residue buildup on your soil surface. When it comes to improved planting quality, seed placement, and germination, Additionally, Evanus is designed to assist in nutrient cycling, increasing the solubility and availability of nutrients in your soil. So they will be pushing that product hard here at Commodity. We also saw that Maristem announced their gold standard fungicide at plant treatment. So they are looking to protect you from uh, Pythium and uh, we're going to cut that out. Fungicide at plant treatment. EPA granted their approval for their crop performance product, Metallics ST fungicide, along with its biocontrol products, biocapsule technology for at plant seed fluency. So their application has been approved and has now become, according to their press release, the gold standard system for fungicide for controlling multiple species and threats. Their CEO states here, now they can deliver in furrow what their biocontrol was doing over the top. So the company sees this new formulation as being the gold standard. So the first two press releases coming out of Commodity Delaney. Yeah, yeah, I know you've been to the floor. I didn't make it to the floor yesterday, but just starting to walk around already. We are in Houston for the Commodity Classic Tanner. It's hard to believe it's here again, but I know you were watching folks put up booths yesterday. Have you seen anything that's piqued your interest yet? Uh, I certainly have. It's quite interesting to uh, see the size of some of these displays and the overarching investment that these companies are making to grab the attention of producers. Uh, of course, there is going to be very a uh, ton of news releases coming out of the John Deere booth later today that we can report on tomorrow. Uh, but it was interesting to see uh, as I was walking through with fellow farm for profit hosts also those tillage tools that are scaling back so it seems like there might be a new target market delaney of smaller farmers using some smaller tillage tools or they're gearing up for autonomous machines to be able to pull smaller tools so kind of interesting there well that'll be interesting to dig into today as we hit commodity classic and the show opens but it doesn't seem like farmers in northwest iowa are leading into the smaller trend tanner as we saw two northwest iowa farmland sales here for a whopping twenty nine thousand six hundred dollars per acre two tracks of sioux county iowa farmland sold on tuesday for this near record in a public auction the two tracks of farmland sold for that $29,600 per acre. And in November of 2022, a sale of 73 acres were previously sold in the same county for the record of $30,000. So just shy of breaking that record there. The first tract was made up of 40 acres with a corn suitability rating of 99.7. And with a road and ditch on one side of the field. So folks are probably thinking about grain hauling for that field. 98% of that field was tillable. And the second field was 77.4 acres with a CSR rating of 99.1. This track is also subject to a signed easement with Summit Carbon Solutions Pipelines. That was interesting to note there, Tanner. And uh, 
that I think is a pretty good indication that we're not going to see farmland sales here slow anytime soon. We're still seeing mixed reports and mixed outlooks from a lot of folks in the land sales industry. Yeah, it was interesting to read the comment sections under some of the people that were posting about that sale. Uh, I do think there will be an announcement. It sounds like there's a privately negotiated sale happening in Story County, Iowa, that might eclipse that, Delaney, mm. but uh, certainly has a lot of skepticism from those commenters online as to how long land values can stay above these continued record levels. We're also seeing out of the new Purdue report, However, that the number of dust explosions is unchanged, which is a positive and a negative for the agricultural world. The report was hoping to see numbers draw down, but the number of grain dust explosions, according to their research, did not increase in 2023, which is the positive thing. The report says there was a total of nine reported incidents in the U.S., uh, which was the same as 2022. Those nine explosions led to 12 injuries and no fatalities. The 10-year average of grain dust explosions came in at the same of 8.4. The university noted that this has been much lower than it has been in the past, thanks to the changes that have taken place at elevators across the Midwest. The Purdue University professor, Kingsley Ambrose, stated the explosions can lead to significant financial and personal loss. So it is a goal of theirs to get to zero. So it was kind of neat there, Delaney, to see a, st a study that I didn't know was ever being done, at least come in with some positive results. It certainly sounds that way, Tanner. I think a couple of final headlines I have here in the trade arena is we've got a few minor updates here on the USMCA agreement and the dispute between Mexico and the United States on GMO corn. We know right now, of course, that Mexico in 2023 issued a ban on genetically modified corn for human consumption and specifically corn coming out of the United States. Well, we got word that the oral agreement or excuse me, oral arguments are now scheduled for June of 2024 when a dispute settlement panel will convene. The panel's final report is expected not until November of 2024 after elections in both countries. And at that point, it will determine if Mexico must revoke the ban or face U.S. trade sanctions. But until November of 24, Mexico's ban on GM corn will remain in place, Tanner. Having a conversation with a couple of corn grower association members last night, they certainly are going to do what they can to have conversations prior to it getting to this level. But at this time, it doesn't seem like that is an extremely viable option. The last headline I've got is coming from Russia-Ukraine conflict. The French, the, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, stated openly that they are discussing the possibility of sending European troops to Ukraine to help Kiev win the war against Russia. This is a potential major escalation of the largest ground war in Europe since, to that, or since World War II. Although this possibility of Western democracies pulling together to put boots on the ground in Ukraine remains a remote possibility, Macron did open up the possibility following a conversation at the summit in support of Ukraine, which is prompting a hawkish response from the Kremlin. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. But as of right now, 
NATO has stated they have no plans to deploy combat troops to Ukraine, but some of the European leaders are stating that it is at least an option that is on the table. That's what I've got for headlines today. Well, Sanders, it's interesting as we talk about Ukrainian headlines as well here, they're really still trying to get grain out of the country. And so far, we've seen reports here that have suggested exports between February 1st and February 27th totaled 5.3 million metric tons. That's up from the 4.7 million metric tons that happened during this period last year, according to the country's Ministry of Agrarian Policy and Food. However, I was messaging with Ukrainian farmer Case Housinga on WhatsApp, who we've had on the podcast, and he shared that there's something unique going on that a lot of media agencies aren't reporting on, and that is grain dumping from opening train wagons that are leaving Ukraine and heading into Poland. He said grain that's been going through custom procedures and on its way to final destinations, mainly ports and harbors on the East Coast, every now and then trains will have to stop and wait a few hours on the railway system. And when they're parked, Polish protesters have been opening the doors of the train wagons and dumping corn on the ground. That is certainly not helpful for Ukraine exports, and it's really not something we've seen in mainstream media yet, Tanner, but he shared some photos with me as well, so I might post those to the Ag News Daily Twitter and Facebook account later today. Yeah, I actually thought I came across something yesterday and I couldn't tell what I was looking at because I didn't take time to read the article. So very interesting there. It certainly is. And nonetheless, Ukraine is certainly getting grain out of the country. And we've seen here in the United States that Kansas wheat conditions aren't as poor as maybe we were expecting to see in the latest USDA report. We're also seeing subsoil moisture certainly recover after a couple of ongoing years of drought, and that has certainly pushed the wheat market lower here in the overnights. Let's start here with wheat, taking a look at the Chicago March contract in the overnights down four and a quarter cent at 581 and three quarters. March hard red winter wheat down nine and three quarters cents at 583 and three quarters. And March spring wheat down five and three quarters cents at 653. March corn this morning in the overnight up three quarters of a cent at 4.09. March soybeans up three quarters of a cent at well at 11.32. And taking a look at livestock, April live cattle will open on the board at a buck 87.72 and a half. March feeder cattle will open at 2.53. And April lean hogs at 85.90 on the board today. For our conversation today, Tanner, we are kicking things over to talk with Ted McKinney, the CEO of NASDA, to talk about a recent trade conversation that they had with Cuban trade ministers. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Well, Tanner, I wish that we were on this trip, but uh, recently the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, otherwise known as NASDA, recently traveled to Cuba to look at some different trade negotiations and discussions down there. We're chatting today with Ted McKinney, the CEO for NASDA. Ted, we're very excited to have you on the podcast today and learn more about your recent trade trip to Cuba. Well, thanks for having me. So let's dig right in. You guys are just getting back from Cuba and the fresh uh, discussion there. What was the goal in heading down to Cuba and what were you hoping to accomplish? Sure. 
Well, the goals were pretty simple. One is build friendships and trust, you know, the usual networking so that you have people you can call when you have questions or problems and so forth. So uh, we, I think, accomplished that. Clearly, you're limited in four or five days who you can visit with. But boy, we were, it was a robust uh, a series of meetings. So we did that. The other uh, thing that clearly you do is you kick the tires, so to speak, for whether there are trade opportunities. Now, mind you, we've always, certainly I've always looked at this as a two-way street. If it's not a win-win for both parties, it's a pretty short and curt relationship. So we did talk about, um, you know, the spirit of two-way trade, though we were not there to negotiate. That's not our role. That is our good friends at USDA Foreign Ag Service and USTR. But boy, you can still get a lot accomplished in figuring out what their needs are. What's the political situation on the on the on the ground there? Where where should we go first? You know, what's on first? What's on second? That kind of thing. And I think we 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 learned a lot. So as you and your team have been putting the legwork into this, what is kind of the state of the union, the state of that relationship between U.S. and Cuba? Well, it's a pretty tough situation there right now, to be very honest. And, the, and they did not hide that. A combination of COVID, uh, a combination of the continued U.S., what they called embargo, I would call it other kinds of restraints and constrictions, um, um, has been very difficult. And of course, the situation in Russia and some other countries where they had usually gotten help uh faded, if not died, many, many years ago. So it's a tough situation. Uh, I would not say it's a level of starvation, but it's pretty clear from what we heard that there's not enough protein and nutrition to last the long term in helping the people of Cuba get their diet. So uh, that was news to us. Now, we say that despite the fact that there is a lot of U.S. poultry that goes there and has for a very long time. Most people do not know that Cuba is the number three market for USA Poultry and Egg Export Council. And that's mostly uh, chicken quarters, the legs. But it's a source of protein. It's the less expensive type. And it's what's feeding a lot of protein to those people at the present time. But beyond that, I mean, the statistics will frighten you. I mean, they're down 90, that's nine zero percent in pork production, down uh, uh, enormous double digits in their own poultry production. And it's all because they don't have the hard currency to purchase feedstocks that feed those critters. And beef, uh, you know, there's beef right down there, but it's nothing to speak of in, in terms of the diet. A little bit of dairy, but again, access to uh, feed grains uh, to feed the animals is a real problem. So it's a tough spot. They're in a very, very tough spot. And no doubt, I mean, they 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 lectured us, uh, I would say, diplomatically, they did, on things that were wrong with the relationship. We, we didn't have much to say back. That was not our place. But we did say empathetically that we heard them, we listened to them. Uh, but there's some positives down there, too, if you'd like to get uh, into it. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're curious to know what those discussions were, but also who were the different diplomats and farmers perhaps that you were meeting with while you were down there? Oh, good question. Well, the people we met with uh, first and foremost were U.S. or excuse me, Cuban government officials. And these were largely Minister of Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which would be like our State Department. 
and their Ministry of Ag, which would be very much like our USDA. And we met with many of them at all levels. Um, we met, uh, let's see, there were a couple of university folks there when we lived, visited a co-op uh, yesterday, excuse me, day before yesterday. And um, and we we met with a number of people who are in cooperatives and in uh, these private sectors. So to, to get on with that, it was under then President Raul uh, uh, Castro that he initiated a privatization process. Now, he wasn't privatizing all the state-owned stuff, but he did say, and they ruled in the Constitution, that private companies can now exist. Interesting. And the same went for co-ops. And we know co-ops and that, org is that, that model very well here in the U.S. There are still cooperatives that are very much... Uh, driven by the federal government. Those are off limits. But according to the U.S. government, co-ops that are privately owned and owned by private citizens is in bounds. That's fair play. And they have risen mightily. I mean, several thousand have popped up these last several years. I think it's about three to four years to be exact. So it, it, it's going to be a bridge uh, is the word I'm using. It's going to be a bridge to get there for their sake because they can't just automatically set up a private sector or a, a cooperative sector overnight and fix the problems with lack of hard currency to then pay cash for whatever purchases they may be making, no matter what country it is. But it does offer opportunity because uh, it's clear to, the, to us from our own uh, uh, USDA and our own State Department is it's okay for the U.S., uh, to participate with the private sector. And so it's that bridge to get to that point where those people have enough standing, have enough of their own line of credit. It may be with their own uh, bank. There are some of those. There's uh, a lot of, of investment in Spain, in, uh, in Spain banks, and there's some financing in Canadian banks. They would clearly like for U.S. banks to play. And I, I would say that's going to be off in the future, if at all. But these private entities offer us a chance to legally sell product, sell wares, sell protein to Cuba. And for my, my concern or my question is we can't get them up and structured and operating quickly enough. So you had mentioned that you had a couple of positives that you wanted to share as well. So let's head down that path. What is looking really well down there? Well, in the spirit, the philosophical spirit, um, I think they recognize that food of any sort from the U.S. is of quality, it is safe, and it clearly, in most cases, has plenty of volume behind it. And feed grains for their livestock would be a, a great example. It's well known what the U.S. Grains Council puts out, what uh, U.S. Wheat Associates puts out uh, U.S. Soybean Export Council, and the list goes on, Dairy Export Council, well known what they can do. And so our job is just to share openly what we observed. It's not a perfect situation, but it may be such that some companies, I suspect it'll be larger ones to begin with because they may have the ability to risk a loss, perhaps, but it may be time to put a toe or an ankle in that water and see if those private companies and those cooperatives that are independent can be made uh, to work. And certainly we in ag are all humanitarian. I mean, feeding people is what I grew up speaking about in 4-H and FFA, and it's a, still a deep source of pride in my heart. 
And so for those that have that view, and I think most of us do in agriculture, that, that might present the uh, empathetic, that sympathetic uh, opportunity as well. We'll just have to see how quickly the companies, the private companies, the co-ops that are private rise and can be made functional. So as you look at maybe other targets for these type of continued negotiations and conversations or just other things coming down the pipeline for NASDA, what are some other short-term focuses you have, Ted? Sure. Well, let me clarify first, just for the record, uh, we do not negotiate. Uh, that is the role of our friends at USDA Foreign Ag Service and USTR. But they're very happy for us to go and and and, and help leverage, um, gather information, do all of those kinds of things. So to answer your question, uh, this year we're already we've already been to Morocco in January, a fascinating trip. No tariffs there. It's a free trade agreement for a long time. And you talk about the gateway to Africa, or at least Northern Africa, and the gateway to the EU, it is Morocco. So uh, I think there are a lot, a lot of opportunities there. Cuba is second. In uh, March, no, excuse me, April, uh, the team will be going back to Vietnam at the encouragement of the Foreign Ag Service. That is an area, that is a country that is absolutely exploding with opportunity. And they'll say that, and they mean it, and it's real. And we're seeing that with our exports. Then after that, in May, we are back to Kenya. Uh, Kenya and uh, and Vietnam were, were countries we went to in 2023. And the need is great there. They're waiting on a Supreme Court decision. I think it's been bumped back to May, where they'll be they'll find out whether they can grow biotech crops and enjoy the benefits like our farmers and ranchers have seen. They'll learn whether they can import biotech grains. They have not been allowed to, believe it or not. And so to, to help that along, again, not to negotiate, not our role, but to find out, to offer our help. Let me give you a good, good example. Uh, we're preparing um, some case studies on how did biotech get accepted in the U.S. I mean, it was not a panacea, but for goodness sake, some had it, some didn't. The cost was higher. You had to understand there really was and is a payoff. So these are the kinds of things that we think we can help. Technical exchange, for example, introductions of university here to university there. These are the kinds of things that we can do and proudly so. After um, uh, after Vietnam uh, is, oh, I said Kenya in May, and then in November, it's to the Philippines where they have been just on a terror run of purchasing U.S. pork, among other things. And uh, again, all of these are important, not just because they're buying our food, but the geopolitical situation says we better be making very, very good friends in Asia Pacific. Uh, and I think they are wanting that. So there's a big reason why we've spent so much time in Asia Pacific and, and more so in, uh, in Africa. Absolutely. It sounds like you have a lot of big travels ahead of you over the next couple of months here, but I appreciate you sharing your insight into your recent trip to Cuba. Well, you bet. And I'll just add that our, our strategy after we get to know these people in their country is to bring them here. And we intend to let, I mean, I think they're interested in letting the media know that they're here. And so I think it'll be easier for everybody when we get some of those people coming here, as we did last year, when we brought very senior people from the ministries of ag in Vietnam and Thailand on an Arkansas, um, uh, Oklahoma, Texas swing. So more to come, both going there and coming here. 
Well, there you go, listeners. Hopefully we get to see some of that Cuban delegation here at Commodity Classic, here to learn about the way the United States puts ag products into the market. But like Delaney said, we will be out and about at Commodity, so please come and see us if you're listening today. Uh, I know that we will be spending time at the John Deere booth, the Suka booth, and Corteva, right, Delaney? That's right, Tanner. Be sure to find us, or you can hit us up on social media. Find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.